Hello, and welcome to Six Figure Authors, the show that helps you take your writing career to the next level. I'm Lindsay Broker, and I'm here with my two co-hosts. I'm Andrea Pearson. And I'm Joe Lalo. And it always uh, disturbs me when, as I start talking, one of the dogs rouses from the dog bed like, uh, and gives that look on her face like, I think I might need to do something. Uh, not quite live shows, but almost. Today, we're going to get caught up in some of your questions from the Facebook group. And um, I've made a note to myself about what we're going to talk about, but I didn't finish putting in the note. So it's going to be that kind of show today. Uh, back matter links I got in there. And I think there were some uh, stuff on reader magnets and um, all kinds of good marketing jazz that you guys are going to want to listen to. Uh, it's been a long day, guys. Uh, we're also going to finish with some of the craft questions that we didn't get to on the protagonist show, how to make a, a protagonist people love. Before we jump into the questions, do you guys have any news you would like to share? I've got a little bit of news uh, in, in terms of my writing. I, I kept with the, the 5,000 words a day uh, for as long as it took to hit 50K. And then I immediately backed off because it was taking its toll on both my productivity elsewhere and also... I might start to get eye strain. You might see me with glasses in the not too distant future. But uh, also, uh, I have not set the price to my other books back to what they're supposed to be yet. Uh, I should have done that two days ago, and I forgot. So I've had an unplanned, extended uh, uh, sale. So that's fun. And I guess just because it's news, we also we often talk about uh, social media on here. If you are a Twitter user, they just added Instagram stories to Twitter. Uh, so if you're being very successful on Instagram using stories to sell your books, well, you can do that on Twitter now too. Uh, I don't see I don't see that being the case because not everybody has it yet, and generally the, the 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 tenor of the response for Twitter stories is why does Twitter have stories now? But it's yet another tool in your toolkit if you're good at them. And I don't didn't know that Twitter had stories yet, so <laughs> like I, I'm in the camp of why does Twitter need stories? Anyway, um, I'm still on hiatus for my newsletter, and um, it's honestly been kind of nice, just kind of resetting everything in my brain and all that. Um, we've also started digging into, in, digging into Amazon ads again. That's kind of been fun, especially the pages read thing. That's so helpful. Um, and then I'm also working on a course for dictation. Um, those of you who are in the Facebook group, you voted and that's what I'm focusing on right now, uh, when it comes to nonfiction stuff. And I'm going to post in the group and ask you guys what you want me to touch on in that. And I'm planning on touching on everything in the whole world about dictation. Just kidding. I'll just hit the most important stuff and then answer questions if possible. Um, and then I've also been editing, um, on stable heart. It's, it's slow and steady progress, not as fast as I would like, but at least I'm able to do book work again. And it's been very nice. Yeah. The uh, Twitter thing is called fleets, which makes me exactly think of stories. There was some article I saw apparently with a uh, board members pressuring Jack Dorsey, the CEO or something like, we need to be more innovative. So you need to add something, you know, just like Facebook has added stories and just like Instagram has stories. That's innovation, doing exactly what your peers are doing. Um, but no, I haven't played with it yet. And I honestly haven't played with Facebook stories yet either. Or I think YouTube has stories too. 
it's the thing. Um, but if any of you guys are actually using any of these uh, effectively as an author to like build your platform, um, let us know on the Facebook page or in the comment for the show. I, I'd be really curious because I do see that they seem to be prioritized, at least on some of the sites. Because uh, I see people's story stuff in my feed. And I'm like, well, that's annoying. That's always there. But that probably means it's working because uh, that person's uh, showing up higher in my feed than others. For my news, or actually this is just news for all of you guys with audiobooks, ACX is paying an extra 5% in December. Uh, we're actually recording this a couple weeks before the show will go out, so I won't get too topical, but um, lots of authors have been uh, upset with Audible and their return policy and the fact that they're like, hey, like it's really front center. Like you have a year to return an audiobook, even if you completely listen to it and really enjoy it. <laughs> and I've heard from some authors that have seen their sales really go down big time on ACX. I um, couldn't really tell on my own, my account, my main name, but on my pen name audiobooks, which I haven't written a new book for the pen name in years or done anything to promote the audiobook. So money fewer sales. Uh, so I looked at one that had eight sales last month and this month it had negative one sales. So there were some, somebody returned something in there, um, possibly more than one if eight is the average. So I don't know. It, it, we will see how it plays out. Hopefully they will stop publicizing that quite so much if that is their policy going forward. And speaking of audiobooks, I finally started an author YouTube channel. I don't know how much I'm actually going to do there as far as putting up like content that I create, but I've had this uh, bonus audiobook novelette in my Death Before Dragon series. It's a, the ebook and some bonus scenes go out if you sign up for the newsletter. That's, that's sort of my magnet to get people in. I think after book three is when the, the story and the extra scenes take place. Um, but I did the audiobook and I didn't want to make that a newsletter sign up. That's just like, you know, audiobooks are still a relatively small uh, portion of my readers. So I decided to put it out for free on Findaway Voices. And I also, as I said, I put it on the YouTube channel and, and let my listeners, my readers know that they could listen to it if they need something to listen to in the background. And my hope is that it, I designed it to be a standalone story. So even if you haven't read the series, you're not going to be confused. But I, I also made it long enough and hopefully fun enough that uh, if people kind of enjoy the banter and that at that point it's unresolved sexual tension that is resolved <laughs> later on in the series. Um, you know, it's just, I try to put in like all the things that might get people to want to check out the series. That's, that's in the things that are in the series emblematic of it, I guess. And so it's too uh, early to know if this will actually boost sales because, uh, find away voices, which distributes to Kobo and, and Google play and Barnes and Noble and chirp and, and quite a few other places that you probably haven't heard of. They allow you to make it free. And I didn't necessarily want to do that with a whole book one, audiobooks being more expensive to produce, maybe someday. Um, but yeah, so I'm making it free. And I did have my narrator put in at the end, you know, like, hey, if you like this, the rest of the series is Death Before Dragons, book one is Sinister Magic. You can find it in these stores. So we, I'll see. You know, I, I can... Those don't sell so many piles on Find Away Voices that, uh, like, I feel like I'll notice if I get a little boost in sales. We shall see. All right. Camilla asks, or Camellia, Camellia. Who is Camilla? That's Camellia. When using Amazon ads, do you use dynamic bids up and down or down only? Um, I have not tinkered with Amazon ads in a pretty long time. Like I have some running. Uh, and as a matter of fact, the ones I have running are dynamic up and down. And uh, I feel like 
Well, okay. So I feel like uh, uh, when they're dynamic up and down, I end up with greater traffic through them. But that makes sense because they're reaching out to catch more expensive things. Uh, my most successful ads were dynamic down only. Uh, but mostly because those were ads that I was like really min-maxing and, and, and uh, uh, just trying to, to get the absolute best return on investment on. So I can't really say it's a fair comparison up, down versus just down. So uh, I do almost always use dynamic ads, uh, but the... Uh, the up down versus the the down is really just whether or not I'm trying to do a cheap ad that I'll run constantly in the background or an ad for a recent release and I'm hoping to get a lot of traffic on. For myself, I haven't run a side by side comparison, which it's really hard to do that with Amazon ads because you can make two ads that are like the same basically and then just change a few things and one gets no impressions and one takes off and there's no logical reason for it. But um in my case, I do always do the dynamic uh, bids, but I always do down only. And it's just cause I want to know <laughs> what the maximum I'm going to pay for on a, a bid is. Uh, I have tinkered with the, um, the option where you can add like a percentage to, to possibly appear higher up on the, in the results for the book carousel or on the search pages. I usually throw in 15 or 25%. Um, by doing that again, I still know what my max bid is going to be. I'm not sure with the up down thing, how much up <laughs> it might go. Um, that may just be cautious. I don't know. I'm not cautious in other things. So it's just a, a, a gut jerk, knee jerk reaction. So, and as far as the, this is not what you asked, but, um, the higher in the rankings things you can bid and put a percentage on. I've actually, I find those interesting. I, I, I've definitely seen them be effective. Like I said, I do 15 or 25% kind of depending on how much I'm bidding already anyway. And I later go in to see how well those are converting because there's a little spot where you can go in there and, and see. And almost every time one of them is converting really well, like the top of the search one and the other one's converting horribly. So I immediately turn off one. Like if it's been enough, you know, that it's not a fluke, if it's like, Oh, well out of a hundred clicks, nobody bought. Uh, so I turn that off and then I let the other one go or, um, you know, even increase the percentage sometimes. And it's interesting cause it's not always the same on some ads. It'll be one is, um, for some reason that particular ad does really well at the top of the search results, but horribly in the carousel or vice versa. So if you do, um, put those things in, go in and check later and, and see if it's being effective or not. Uh, passing it to Andrea. And my answer on that was, um, we do do, um, dynamic bids, but I don't have much information beyond that. Uh, Nolan and I weren't able to have much of a conference together before we started recording. So the answer is yes. I don't know if it's up or down though. <laughs> All right. Uh, so the next question is from Peter. And then, uh, he says, this is highly niche, but how do you manage files on your hard drive as your list of published works moves into the double digits between drafts, edits, cover files, ebook formats, print ready files, promo materials, blurbs, and other marketing material. There's a huge amount of data attached to a single release. And I'm curious about the ways in which people organize to keep things they need accessible and easy to find. All right. I'm going to go first, even though I'm the least likely person to be super organized. Um, but I, I will say, I, I totally hear where you're coming from. I started everything in the beginning and just put it in my documents. <laughs> you know, there were no folders. I had no idea I'd write so many books. So these days I have branches of folder trees, basically like book, um, you know, books, writing, uh, then series underneath that. And then each individual book has a folder. And then within the book, uh, like, 
cover art goes in a spot, you know, a folder, its own folder. And then not too much other than that. Uh, if I do like uh, marketing stuff, like for ads, that'll get its own folder. So basically just folder trees. And I back everything up on Dropbox. Uh, I think that's all. Yeah. Oh, I also keep my um, Scrivener files, kind of the writing stuff in a different place than where um, my final book stuff goes. That keeps it a little simpler when it's actually time to go in and like format for vellum or put something together for marketing or update the file. Uh, yeah, cause I don't necessarily keep versions, like a whole bunch of versions of things, but it does seem to be a little tidier when going in at the end. If it's just kind of, this is the final stuff that's in this folder, uh, passing it on to whoever's next. Um, okay. So, uh, I also back things up in, in Dropbox. Uh, I also have like separate backups as well because I'm super paranoid. Uh, but, uh, I have been doing this for long enough that, uh, as each new series came out, I had a different uh, method for organizing it. And it wasn't until very recently that I actually went through and made it consistent. So this is what we have right now. Uh, top level, I have a folder named writing. And below that, there's a folder for each genre. And below that, there's a folder for each series. If applicable within the series, there is a, a section for books and short stuff. If I don't have any short stuff, then it just goes straight into the books which I've got a drafts folder for anything that I'm currently working on. It stays there even after I'm done, but uh, it includes the uh, uh, Scrivener file. Plus once I'm finished that finished with that, it has each of the revisions separately. And then once I get something back from the editor, it has that plus the polished version for when I applied that. And I have like, for me, that's rough draft, first draft, finished draft, and polished draft because it makes sense to me. But if, if someone else was to look at that, they would have no idea which one was the last one. Uh, after the, the drafts folder, I've got a published folder. Uh, the published folder has got, I call it Amazon generic because my, my non-Amazon, well, I should say, my non-Smashword stuff is just the same file as my Amazon stuff. And my Smashwords stuff is, is separate for uh, back matter. And also Smashwords like you to put this little paragraph. I put that even though I don't, I don't even think they still want you to do it. Uh, so I have a, an Amazon generic and a wide folder and also a print folder. And inside each of those, it's got the different formats for uh, the various books and also the covers for the various books. And also each book folder has got a marketing folder that contains uh, the blurbs and ad copy, ad art, and all the asset and stuff for ads. So that's how it works out. Just branch all the way down and, and so that ideally the layout is identical and I can just go through and, and find everything easily. Kind of funny that we all kind of organize our books roughly the same way. Um, I, I, when I first started writing, it was really tedious to go back and forth between series and d clicking so many times to get down from books to series to, uh, you know, individual book and all of that. And it now is just, I just might, I just know exactly where to go and it's not tedious at all. Um, so I organized by series and then by book. Um, the first book has a number one at the start of the file to always keep it at the top and the same with the rest of the books in their correct order. Um, inside the book files, I have folders for important stuff. So it'll be like titled important or necessary or something like that. And that'll include like descriptions, any, any excerpts that I use that I like to repeatedly use. Um, and then 
I also have a folder for um, promo stuff, so which would include images and download bonuses if I'm doing them. And then I have a folder for anything related to print and a folder called old that all of the previous versions of the book and the covers go into and anything that I know I won't be using again, but I don't want to get rid of because I like to keep them because I'm a hoarder when it comes to my files. <laughs> but also it's actually, it's actually helpful to be able to go back to previous versions of the book for, you know, any, whatever reason. Um, and then in the main folder for that book, so those are the folders, you know, the different files that I have in the folder. I have the book itself as I hit my mic. Sorry, guys. Um, the book itself, um, the cover, the PSD file, the main book file that the ebook is based out of, not like the doc, Word doc, but the other one, and then the ebook files. And it's not too complicated. It's, it, I keep, I like to keep it pretty clean. Um, and I even name the files themselves. So like if I have like my PSD file, I will add PSD in the title. And if it's the JPEG or the cover, I'll add PIC in the title just because I like to see at a glance and not have to think because, you know, every, every location reads things differently. Um, and then that way I don't have to think, I don't have to hover, I don't have to right click or anything like that. And um, I back things up on Dropbox and on Google Drive. And yeah, that's pretty much it for me. Um, I'm going to go ahead and ask Mark's question. He says, or asks, or says, um, social media can be an endless sink of time, uh, word, which takes away from writing. Crafting auto sequences and newsletters on a regular basis also takes time and getting people to sign up for those newsletters. With social media and newsletters, how much do they really convert to sales, perhaps in comparison to ads? So the answer is not at all until you actually build up these platforms and your newsletter and you have a lot of loyal readers following you there. And then the answer becomes that it's huge um, and essentially free other than the cost of paying for newsletter hosting versus ads, which basically costs a fortune. And <laughs> you're, you know, you're doing advertising basically so you can get new readers, get new fans, get them on your mailing list and not have to ever pay to advertise to them again. So yeah, it's really huge and it doesn't need to be a big time sink. I do the Facebook author page pretty regularly, uh, probably five times a week. I'll post something there, but it's like, here's a little snippet from the document I already had open because I was writing on it or like, eh, let me go find, like somebody will share something with me, uh, share dragon art and I'll share that. That's my post for the day. Something somebody gave me because they know I'm the dragon lady now. I'm not sure that's the right term dragon person, <laughs> awesome person who likes dragons. Um, so yeah, I honestly, if I spent even 10 minutes a week on my Facebook author page, I would be surprised. Newsletters, I only send them out uh, when it's done when I release a book. So it's just over the years. I mean, I, I obviously I have a welcome one that has all the links to the down the you know bonuses for my sci-fi newsletter and my fantasy newsletter. You know, how long did that take? 20 minutes when I first did it. And now how long does it take to send out a newsletter when I have a new release? 15 minutes. I write, I try to write something personable in the first paragraph and then like, hey, here's the books. Here's the links to buy the books. Here's a picture of a dog. Awesome. Thank you for buying the books and thank you for being a reader. Uh, does, I will fully admit people reply and that can take a lot of time. That's just, I, put it in my brain that whenever I release a new book, um, going to be a couple hours of answering email involved in that. But Hey, you're usually making more money when you release a new book. So it feels okay. Um, what seems unfair is when they reply three months later to one you sent out. I'm like, wait a minute. I already budgeted the time for this and you are, you went beyond. Uh, but no, it's, it doesn't need to be as much time. A lot of it is just setting it up initially and then picking your social media site 
um, in the beginning, you may play with a couple of them and see what's most effective and what most you enjoy being on. I honestly, Facebook's probably the one that most people are going to get the best results on. Maybe if you're a YA author, you might have to hunt elsewhere since only the uncool people over 30 are hanging out on Facebook, apparently, and all the teenagers are on, I don't know, Snap. I don't even know. Where are they hanging out? You guys, Anna, I'm uncool. TikTok. I don't know. TikTok. TikTok, is that what you said too, Joe? Yes. <laughs> yeah, well, I don't know how many authors are actually going to make 15-second videos of themselves playing ping pong hanging out of a window. But if that's your thing and you think it can sell books, go for it. But I, I'd probably want to see some conversion data on, on that particular one. But, uh, you know, pick one or two. Like I said, for my money, Facebook is the thing after my newsletter that I get the most sales from. I use affiliate links so I can actually track. And I usually do the social media posts before I send out the newsletter so I can see like, okay, wow, I got 100 sales after posting that on my author page. And if you are doing Facebook right and kind of directing your readers there, people who already enjoy your work, and it's truly a fan page, you will get pretty good uh, responses, a lot of comments, a lot of likes naturally. And you'll find that your posts get shown pretty well to your readers. And I'll still do a boosted post every now and then, but um, I don't spend a lot of money basically on these things. So versus ads, which can be thousands of dollars a month. If not, I know people that spend tens of thousand dollars a month on ads. So hopefully you're making more tens of thousands of dollars if you're spending tens or hundreds. Um, but yeah, ads are a fortune. So if you can get the other stuff to work, uh, it's wonderful. <laughs> Passing it on. Uh, and for those who are listening and not watching, Lindsay has a dragon on the wall behind her. I didn't notice that until now. It looks pretty cool. <laughs> I finally hung him up. I'm gradually getting stuff on the walls from my move and boxes uh, mostly unpacked. Awesome. Um, okay. Yeah. What Lindsay said. Um, so my biggest thing, kind of the way I run my business is stuff needs to work on autopilot. Uh, and yes, it does initially take time away from writing, but nearly everything I do once set up doesn't need to be repeated. Um, so take my auto sequence. I haven't made changes other than a few tweaks to it in years, like, like years. Um, and when I do set up a new one, what, which does happen, um, from time to time, like if I switch providers or if I just want fresh data, um, it's a simple matter of replicating, um, and then ads are the same. When I set up Facebook ads, I make sure they're working. Then I let them run with minimal hovering on my end. And I know that that might, you know, rub some feathers wrong or rub people the wrong way. I just, I, if they're still converting and if it's not robbing me, <laughs> then I just let them run, even if they do increase in cost. Um, that includes ads to get new subscribers and ads to sell my books. And so your newsletter is going to be super important. Yeah, generally speaking, your your newsletter is going to be the highest conversion rate thing you have. For the bulk of my career, I was able to get by with basically three three emails per release and nothing else even resembling promo. Uh, when I, I would put a, send out an email when the pre order went live, and then I would send out when it released, and then I would do a follow up email, and that was it. And and I was able to you know get hundreds of sales on the first two emails. Typically, the the, the cleanup email didn't uh, didn't get me too much, but it was enough to make you know to completely cover the cost of the book and the edit and everything in those two emails. And I think you're going to have a hard time finding similar, uh, uh, you know, return on investment on anything else. Uh, so 
I, uh, I only once the only thing I've ever done to build that, by the way, in terms of putting together my my newsletter is uh, I have a link in my back matter. I mentioned the newsletter in the back matter. It's my my call to action is usually to join my newsletter. So it didn't put a lot of effort. It's just literally just pasting the same back matter into the back of each book to build the newsletter. Now I've been doing this for a long time, so it built organically over a very long period of time, but still very little work. Uh, and I so social media. It takes as much time as you let it take, and you're going to find it's a lot less return on investment than the uh, than the newsletter is, unless you're super duper good at it. And again, Facebook is going to be your best bet in that case. Uh, it, it depends, though. Like as Lindsay said, it depends on what your genre is, because different audiences are on different social media. So if you're trying desperately to, to appeal to the youth, then Facebook isn't going to be your, your jam, but I'm basically only on Facebook and Twitter. Uh, I, I technically am on a few others, but I never update them. Like I'm on Tumblr and I'm on uh, Instagram and don't even, I, I, in a recent interview, I was like, I'm on Instagram, but I'm not even going to tell you my thing. Don't bother following me there. Um, and Twitter is Twitter is mostly for networking. Like I think you'd you'd have a really unless you have a gigantic following, I think you'll have a hard time making Twitter pay for itself. And I've never run a Twitter ad. I'm not even sure how I would do it. Uh, Facebook, I, I I post about three times a week, and uh, I get decent engagement. And the nice thing about Facebook is you're sort of doing double time, because if you have a nice active Facebook fan page. Uh, then you can, you know, you can boost posts, which I do once per book release. But also, it's building up a, a and sort of, you are building an audience that you can use to hone your Facebook ads. So if you're concerned that you're wasting a lot of time on social media, if you're building a Facebook fan page, you're technically doing double duty with building ads as well. We should add the, uh, before you go off and try to get all the teenagers to buy your books, that most teenagers don't have a lot of money or a credit card or an Amazon account of their own. And every time we interview a YA author, it turns out that parents are the ones reading the books and sometimes then share them with their kids. So go where the money is, guys. All right. Next question is from Quinn. Hi, Andrea. I guess Joan, I can answer too, but this is for Andrea. In your interview on our episode 40, which I listened to recently, you recommended authors listen to podcasts to learn. I didn't realize how spoiled I was by this podcast. Aha, this should be like paid placement. Thank you, Quinn. Um, until I tried taking your advice. I've run across several truly awful ones in my quest to find one as good. Are, as people are writing in different genres here, what are the best writing craft podcasts or other podcasts you'd recommend? And um, I honestly don't listen to many podcasts unless they're mainly for marketing or business because that's where my obsessions run. Um, for fiction, I'd aim for official podcasts though. Like I, if there's one for Na NASA, I think Lindsay said there was at one point maybe that you listened to it or something. Um, National NASA View. has its own podcast. That's what I'm saying. You should so listen I would, to it. Yeah. If you really yeah. want to write like a uh, hard sci-fi that's based on what is actually going on, definitely yeah. check out the NASA podcast. Yeah, exactly. So like, like an official podcast, so like if National Geographic has a podcast, uh, I probably should have looked that up, but I wouldn't listen to, I mean, like you're saying, there's, there's going to be a lot of truly awful ones. Go for the most official ones first, and then you can just, you know, wait around, see if you can find other ones when it comes to craft. So find something that fits your genre and then go for official within that. 
Um, when it comes to business and marketing, I recommend Entree Leadership, Rocking Self-Publishing. And I know that one's old, but it's still excellent for beginners um, and even intermediate and some advanced people who still haven't quite grasped a lot of the marketing stuff. And then, of course, the Science Fiction and Fantasy Marketing Podcast, which um, uh, put out shows to pretty much any genre. My gosh, I need to turn off book reports. Sorry, I just exited out of it. Um, so the old podcast, the science fiction and fantasy marketing podcast, it's geared to science fiction and fantasy, but it's pretty much any genre. And I know that it's so for people who've been doing this for a long time, you'll find a lot of repeat stuff, but for new people, it's still a lot of these shows do teach stuff that is still very, very good to know. And it gets, it gets you past the learning curve really quickly. Um, weirdly, I, I listen to a lot of podcasts. I take, uh, you know, um, an, at least an hour long walk a day. So I have at least an hour of podcasts listening during that. And most of the podcasts I listen to, I listen to either for general interest content or because the hosts are good storytellers. <laughs> so like Adam Savage of Mythbusters fame has got a, a very free form podcast called the Adam Savage project. It used to be called still untitled the Adam Savage project, but he finally decided to name it the second half of its name. Uh, and it skews, it skews towards science education and also genre film. Like he, what he, before he was a mythbuster and therefore a science educator, he was a special effects guy. And so he's hugely, uh, interested in cinema and stuff like that. So it's just, you know, and, it, and he's enthusiastic about everything. So it's a good listen. Um, also, uh, 99% invisible. If you're just looking for interesting little things, little tidbits, uh, I have thrown so much garnish into my books and stuff that I learned from 99% Invisible. Technically, it is a design podcast, but everything in your life involves design. So they talk about how songs are written. They talk about how bridges are designed. It's, it's really interesting. And Roman Mars is the narrator, and he has the most soothing voice I've ever heard in my life. Um, Mike Rowe of Dirty Jobs has a podcast called That's the Way I Heard It. I haven't listened to it in a while because it turns out if you only have an hour of listening at a given day, you're going to fall behind on podcasts. But That's the Way I Heard It is little nuggets about history and interesting individuals. And they're written in a way that it's basically a mystery. Like you don't usually know exactly who or what is being talked about until basically the third act turn of a five minute podcast. It's really well put together. If you've ever listened to um, That's the Rest of the Story by uh, uh, Paul Harvey, which is the sort of thing you would have listened to if you had grandparents like mine, it's the same thing, only produced a little bit better and a little bit more, I don't know, intrigue. Uh, so that's good. And, um, so all of all, if you listen to those, you're going to get a lot of good sci-fi stuff and a lot of good history stuff for, for fantasy type stuff. Uh, I don't really listen to anything, but you might get some good use out of, there's a ton of podcasts. They're called actual play podcasts and there are podcasts of people who play D and D. So basically you're listening to fantasy improv characters and it's a really useful way to sort of get into your head how different characters could be performed and weird, interesting takes on characters. Critical Role is the most uh, popular one of those, but there's also the Adventure Zone and there's something called uh, NADPOD. So again, if you're writing fantasy and you want to know uh, how to do some interesting character work, look into some D&D podcasts because they can really help you out. Um, I will say that what, wherever you're looking, if it's Apple and you're using their podcast app, awful. Like it's gotten worse and worse over the years. I'm very confused about how this is possible, but I would recommend Spotify or I've become a big fan of YouTube since I got the premium and, and you yeah, guys just play them basically. It's a podcast because I'm not watching them. Um, so yeah, 
Uh, as far as writing podcasts, I, I don't listen to any of the craft ones. It's just, uh, I've gotten to the point where I don't listen to stuff that I have already heard. So it's repetitive. And that goes too for the marketing and self-publishing ones too. I kind of cherry pick based on the, the topic or the guest, but, um, some good ones out there are the novel marketing podcast. This one is, um, a lot of not only trad published focus, but uh, a lot of trad stuff in there. Uh, the creative pen. Um, Joanna does, um, you know, I mean, you guys all know Joanna's podcast already. I'm sure you're subscribed, but you know, kind of a mix of like advanced and then more beginner and craft stuff. And she always does her intros that can be kind of newsy and keeping, or they are newsy and, and keeping up on stuff. The sell more book show is all news, but they do have some tips in there. Self-publishing formula, mostly a beginner focus, but sometimes Mark Dawson um, and James, they talk about what Mark's working on and he's, you know, making his millions from, <laughs> from his book. So as you get some gems in there. Um, I also tend to, whenever there's a guest on a podcast, that's really good. I will just go and look for everything with that guest. Um, I really like the people that crunch the data because I don't, you know, <laughs> so I like to know, I like to just get it summed up. David Gogren, um, I already mentioned Joanna Penn. She always does good interviews. Alex Newton from Klytics often gives you kind of some of the stuff, the recent stuff that he's been digging out of the, uh, databases that he runs on uh, Amazon there. Nicholas Eric, uh, he, he does, uh, he's been on a couple of interviews. He's got a good website with um, some good content on there about marketing. Uh, I mentioned Mark Dawson, Damon Courtney from Book Funnel. You know, it's kind of interesting. I feel like all the entrepreneurial authors that are like selling from their own site and doing kind of creative different things to get away from maybe the relying completely on Amazon are using Book Funnel as part of it. So it's always interesting to ask them like, hey, well, what are author what are those romance authors that are really killing it? To doing on book funnel with um selling direct right now and i'm sure i'm forgetting lots of people i i also love just i i going outside of the industry, anybody you find inspiring, you know, in business or in your, uh, his historical stuff in what, you know, related to whatever you're writing, uh, science fiction. I recently listened to like a three hour kind of uncut interview with Elon Musk to the whole story of like how you got involved with Tesla and, you know, did the PayPal and like, how do you start a space company. That's like just the most interesting thing to me. I was like, wow, how does, how do you even go and get a rocket? He tried to buy some from the Russians, apparently <laughs> the ones that used to send nukes. <laughs> um, that was frowned upon. So I had to build us down. But anyway, uh, so yeah, just find those people out there that you find inspiring in, uh, whatever field you're in, you know, medical. There, there's so many great interviews out there. And like I said, I think Spotify and YouTube are both better places to search as of right now, as we're recording this in 2020, um, than Apple. Cause I've just really struggled to find good podcasts also lately on <laughs> the things I've typed in. And if the keyword is like, no, no, that's two letters different from the word I typed in, which was not pervy, but the, the results you're giving me are very R-rated. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, so yes, uh, we'll pass it back to Joe for the next question. Okay. This question comes from Camilla. Uh, I'm planning to release a free book and make the epilogue a free reader magnet for people who sign up to my list. But I was wondering what about the audiobook version? Would it be better to include the extra chapter in the narration or would it even be possible to have the narrator say, visit my website at authorname.com to sign up for my list and receive free bonus chapter. Are audio reader magnets a thing? Okay. And it is a really good question. I like that. Um, I've honestly wondered the same thing. So 
Uh, I guess it depends on how much control you have over the production and how flexible your narrator is. Um, if it's in the back matter and your narrator knows, narrator knows you want it mentioned, I don't see why you can't direct audio readers to a magnet available through your newsletter and book funnel. Um, just make sure your website URL, URL is very easy to remember since they can't click through the audiobook. Um, at least I don't think you can. I don't know. Maybe <laughs> I don't think you can. Maybe you can. Um, I personally, just because I like to simplify things a lot, I'd integrate it with your ebook magnet. So you're not having to duplicate efforts. So there'd be one sign up page, one auto sequence that delivers the ebook and the audiobook. Um, I know a lot of people, some people like to have things separated so that they can track and monitor stuff, but that's really hard when it comes to fiction to keep track of who has bought what. And so just for me, myself, I would keep them integrated. Um, I would say that uh, that it's worth a try to do this sort of thing. Uh, you might have difficulty getting people to follow through. Uh, I'm, I'm saying is the uh, audio uh, reader magnet. You might have difficulty having people uh, follow through on a link that's given in an audiobook, just because people are likely uh, experiencing an audiobook differently than they would be experiencing an ebook. If you're reading an ebook, you're reading either on an e-reader, a tablet, or a computer, and in all cases, you're going to be able to just tap a link to go to it. If you're listening to an audiobook, not only would you have to type in the link in order to go there, but people more often listen to audiobooks in situations where they aren't able to be sitting down reading. So you're, you know, you get people who are out taking a walk or doing chores or commuting when, when, you know, when they have a job to go to. So, uh, now they have to sort of take a mental note to go to do that thing. So I think overall, it's going to just be a lower chance of people following through on a link. Um, interesting point that I forgot to put in my notes here. I technically have an audio reader magnet. Uh, the, the people who publish my audiobooks took one of my sci-fi shorts and made it into a free audiobook. Now, I do, it, it technically is a prequel to one of my other books, and therefore it leads into it. Uh, I don't know how successful it's been because this is a, this is a, a, they're the publishers. And so I only get updates like once every six months on sales. I cannot equate the success or, or, or read through of that book, but they, they certainly are a thing because my publisher thought it was a good idea. So it must be pretty good. Um, also, uh, just because it's uh, an audio reader magnet, it could totally work uh, even if you're using it the way a regular reader magnet goes. Like even if you're pushing your audio reader magnet in your written stuff, because it's people tend to value audiobooks a little higher than ebooks just because they usually have a higher price tag and they just feel like a more substantial product. So just having another thing to give people has got utility, even if you're not tying it to the audio necessarily, but just it's part of a bigger pot. Right. I, I think I've certainly listened to nonfiction, especially audiobooks where it was said, and if you want the free bonus or, you know, something, go to URL and the narrators will be happy to put in your, your URL. I would just make it something really easy because, uh, like Joe said, it, there's no clicky clicky, at least right now in audiobooks. Um, so make it basically your name.com slash book or, you know, <laughs> free book and, uh, you, I don't know how much work you want to do, how much effort you want to put into putting, uh, having like an exclusive audiobook mailing list, or if you just want to do it as these are the bonuses everybody gets, whether they came from the ebook or the audiobook. I'd probably go that way just to simplify things. But if you, it is, it is kind of a different audience, audiobook and ebook people. Sometimes they overlap, but usually a lot of times audios, that's all they want is the audio stuff. So, um, hopefully when you're releasing books, you can release the audio and the, ebook and everything at the same time though i never actually managed to do that 
Um, I actually just had to make this decision. Uh, it, same example you were asking about is like, I wrote with my star kingdom series, an epilogue bonus story. Um, but the, uh, audiobooks are being produced by a publisher. And so I was like, should I tell them they can sign up for the mailing list and get it for free? Cause that's how the ebook is working. Uh, and in the end, I decided not to, and I just sent it to the publisher to add on to the end of book eight, um, basically because the publisher was handling it. And I really don't have any say on what goes in the aftermatter with the audiobooks they do. So I, I, I mean, maybe they would have if I asked, like, hey, please direct them to the, my website. But uh, if I was doing it, because I also produce them on my, on my own, uh, I would definitely consider it. But, you know, really up to you. Uh, I, I already mentioned in the forward, forward, the notes there, the news that I had done, not an epilogue story, but a side story and just put it out for free everywhere. Um, that's, I'm more inclined to do that if it's something that can lure people <laughs> into the main series. But in the case of like the epilogue story that I wrote, there's no way you do not want to read this before having read the other eight books or total spoiler situation. So, uh, that was my scenario and why I decided to just have them added on to the audiobook, which I didn't do with the ebook. All right, I'll pass it back to Andrea for the next question. Okay, Michelle says, I'm wondering if you have advice on the amount to spend marketing your very first book if you're not doing rapid release. I will have six months before the second book is out. I don't expect to make much on that book alone, and I am really just hoping to get some sales and reviews before the second book is released. And I personally wouldn't spend any money on it, but that's impossible advice to follow. And I wouldn't follow it myself if I were starting out now. It's just really in the beginning, things are just, it's just hard. So, um, not to worry and all that. Um, your first goal should be to get reviews since it's usually a waste of time to promote a book without reviews. Um, and then once you've got a few of those up, um, beyond that, set up a few promos with some of the good sites. So like ENT, Free Booksy, Book Sands, Robin Reads, um, Book Barbarian, they all have different requ requirements where reviews are concerned. But I wouldn't spend any money, any other money on promotion though, especially on ads, since it usually takes money to learn marketing and the above sites already know how to do it. Um, so once you have a few more books, spending money to learn how to promote makes more sense. Um, I would I would have to agree. Uh, if you're planning a series, uh, I wouldn't really start pumping money into ads until you've got something to funnel people through. It, it you know once you've got more than one book, then the, you can be much more flexible on the pricing of the first one, and you can experiment with promotions and stuff. And you can price low in the beginning, and the, you know the read through will get you your money. Uh, early on, your focus should be building your newsletter and getting reviews. And we have I believe done episodes on both of those things, so you can refer back to those and follow those instructions. And hopefully you'll get some good distraction. Right. We've even, we've also had people on the show say, don't even spend any money on marketing until you publish five books. <laughs> um, I, I think like Andrea, I would probably not be able to follow that advice myself. And, and you know, I, why not give it a little bit of a shot if you have the budget to spend a little bit, because you never know it. You know, we like to say hardly anybody lightning doesn't strike for that many people and very few people hit it out of the park with their first book. But every now and then, you know, you put it out, you put a few ads in it, it gains a little traction. Maybe you're writing in a kind of a hungry niche where there's not a lot of books and people have been waiting for that book. And uh, if you get a few sales going, it possibly will kind of, you know, it might not become a bestseller, but you know, you could get it up there in the top 100 for a category. It might stick for a few months. And then you've got, you know, bunch of super fans, hopefully, that are waiting for the next one when you do publish it. 
So I, I, you know, I wouldn't spend very much money and you also have to decide, are you releasing like at 99 cents to try to, you know, <laughs> goose the algorithms, get a bunch of sales, or if it's your only book, maybe you're releasing at 4.99 and it's just, you're going to keep, have it be full price until maybe later when you publish more in the series. And at that point you might do the discounts. So, cause you can't do the sponsorship sites until, unless you do like 99 cents or free. So that's something to keep in mind. You can do Amazon ads. I would be really careful. Uh, this is a thing where, uh, if you're doing Amazon ads, I would try to get some reviews first. However, you're going to hustle and um, get review copies out uh, to people who will hopefully leave reviews because I think the ads will convert better once you have some. Um, but if you're doing a higher price book, you can afford to spend a little more, uh, possibly on ads. And then like, if you're doing 99 cents, one thing you don't really want to do with your first book is go deep in the hole and think, oh, it's just going to take off. And I'm sure I'll recover that 5,000. I just put on my credit card. No problem. So experiment, be careful with the Amazon ads. If you do them, uh, you know, again, a higher price book, if you're in KU, you can get page reads to pay really close attention. You know, maybe you're only spending a couple dollars a day until if you actually stumble across something that it's converting well, and you're making as much or hopefully more than you spend on the ads, then maybe you can put a little more money in it and, and see how it goes. Um, do be careful. The a cost, you know, the cost of sales thing is the actual, it's when you make a sale, it's what the book's price is, not what you're taking home. So you need to take off like 35% or whatever it is after Amazon takes their bandwidth fees and stuff. So just be really careful. Make sure you have the money to spend. If you don't, there are plenty of stories out here of people who have just bootstrapped it and not spend very much on ads at all in the beginning. And, you know, later when you get more books out, you can, there's a lot more you can experiment with as far as uh, advertising goes or making a book one free for a while, that kind of thing. All right, let's do one or two more questions. We might not get to our protagonist questions again, and I will have lied in the intro. All right, Monica says, really appreciated your recent episodes on reviews and newsletters. I have one book and want to focus on writing the next, but I did spend some time on writing a short story, an epilogue as a reader magnet and get my newsletter going. Um, I'm not sure if that's a short story and an epilogue or a short story that is an epilogue, but Monica has questions. Was it a mistake to write an epilogue, which can only appeal to those who have read my book? Two, if I have no subscribers yet, do I just start writing newsletters to no one? Or do I wait till people have signed up to start sending out monthly emails, aside from the autoresponder sequence? I haven't seen that one detail covered in all the advice I've read. In answer to her first question, which was, is it a mistake to write an epilogue? Um, my answer is no, not a mistake at all. Um, my best reader magnet is a short story told from the POV of the love interest in my Mosaic Chronicles. Um, people who haven't read the ser series don't care about it, but people who have um, liked the series and read it and all that, they love that short story. It's like, it's it's been very, very, very popular. Um, and the good thing about being an indie author is you'll have plenty of time, years to experiment and find out what, find what works best for you and your target audience. So if something's not working, you can change it to something else. And it's, and it's just, it's a good idea just to get something started in the beginning. Like when I first started offering something for free, it was a short story novella romance and I write fantasy and I had, and I mean, I did get good results from it, but not great results. Um, in answer to your second question, you said, I have no subscribers yet. Do I just um, start writing newsletters to no one? I would say, don't worry about writing newsletters until you have at least one subscriber. Um, once you have one, 
Um, you can, you can act like you have thousands and be diligent about emailing. They, that one subscriber doesn't know that you don't have thousands. And when you have a small list is the best time to figure out how you want to run your list. And so like, if you want to, you just experiment with all sorts of different things, like, you know, how frequently you want to email, like what content you want to include, things like that. So, um, that's the best time, honestly, to learn how to run the ropes. And you don't want to ignore even one reader because one reader can become a super fan who buys all of your books and just sticks around. Like I have super fans for, who've been with me for, since I was with traditional publishers. So like 10 years and, um, it's 10, 11 years. And it's just, I mean, I, you don't want to neglect them, um, but you also don't want to go crazy over it. So yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. So an epilogue, uh, if you are looking to build your mailing list and you're doing it organically off the back of your, your books, an epilogue is a fantastic reader magnet. An epilogue is a fantastic reward to, to get people to sign up for your newsletter and therefore get you a bunch of, uh, of readers who will hopefully follow you through the rest of your books. Uh, it's what I have done uh, in the past. Uh, I have also done reader magnets that are that are pre-orders. I've done a lot of different reader magnet type things. So I would say that it's definitely useful as for, for building your newsletter uh, organically from the back of your first book. Uh, and as for uh, before you have subscribers, you don't need to send any emails if you have zero subscribers. Uh, it's not, like if you're talking, if you had a blog, it would be useful to blog even if there's nobody reading it because eventually there'd be this, you know, people would be able to go back and see how many posts you've written and everything like that. Newsletters aren't like that. A newsletter that arrived before or was sent before somebody signed up, they'll never know about. So there's no reason to send newsletters until you have a subscriber. You can use that time to, you know, get your automation sequence, like you said. Uh, also, anything that you think you might have sent out uh, as a newsletter in the interim, you just sort of try to make that material evergreen and you bank it for when you eventually do start sending out newsletters. And you'll have lots of very interesting things to say once you have a subscriber. And again, uh, subscribers don't know how many other subscribers there are. So as uh, Andrea said, once you have one, you can go ahead and act as though you're talking to, you know, a stadium full of people and they'll believe it. Uh, and why shouldn't they? So I think that people really like the personal touch. And if you act like it's just for you, Irene, <laughs> you know, and of course we've talked about this before. Use the, the feature that allows you to use their first name and stuff when you, <laughs> when you address them, like instead of like I do the podcast, Hey everyone, that's not very personalized. Um, so my answer is absolutely keep the short story epilogue. I've decided that it is a short story epilogue, not a short story and an epilogue as a bonus and plug that at the end of the book in order to get people to to subscribe to your newsletter. And then I would say, uh, and that's a great thing to have. Like seriously, the, uh, the epilogue I was just talking about that I did for my Star Kingdom series, it, it's a complete story. It wraps up or actually starts a potential new adventure with um, a character who is never a point of view character in the series. He was almost like a villain. And boy, that has been a super popular one and gotten tons of people to subscribe to the mailing list. And I know because of the emails I've gotten, the number of emails I've gotten from people that couldn't figure out, couldn't get signed up or more likely Gmail hated my uh, autoresponder and dumped it in their spam folder. But like usually bonuses don't get that many people going like, I couldn't get, I couldn't get it. I really need it. So uh, the, your biggest, they're going to be the biggest fan at the end of the book. And that if you do something that is something that wasn't answered in the story or something, or just an extra that is more on a character they really were interested in, that's going to get them on your list. Uh, and whereas something that's just available for free elsewhere, you know, eh, they might not sign up. 
But I would ask, can you also write either a prequel or a side story that stands alone, but also leads people into wanting to read the book or the series if you go on to write a whole bunch of them? So that would be the ideal thing to make free. And then that I, I just put these things out everywhere. I never have worried about like, you know, sign up for my list and I'll send you a free book or I'll send you a free email because a lot of people don't want to do that. But if you just make it free on Amazon and Barnes and Noble and Kobo and everywhere, um, you know, there's no, there's no, like, they don't feel they have to like, oh man, I got to give up my email address. Uh, so that's something people are still reluctant to do. So uh, you have more chance of getting a lot more people to read it. If you just put it out there, put it on a Wattpad, you know, put it everywhere you can, if it's going to be your free thing. And then in the free thing, say, Hey, go check out book one in the series. Uh, as far as the second part of the question, it sounds like you're already written or writing an automation sequence. That should be good. You could do like three emails or something so that when people do sign up, they'll get three things from you right away and they won't forget about you, hopefully. Uh, as Andrew and Joe said, there's no point in writing broadcasts that aren't going to anyone. Hopefully, you'll once the book's out and rolling along and you're doing all this other stuff, you'll get some subscribers in there and it will seem... Like you're not just writing to one person. Hopefully you'll be writing to 50 people uh, after the first couple of months. Uh, we will cross our fingers for you. All right. You have time. Let's do one more question before we, we sign off. All right. Uh, this one's from Amanda. And the question is, uh, if your reader magnet is for sale, not a freebie, what are some good tactics to let readers know they can get the book for free by signing up for your newsletter instead of paying for it? All the things. This is a very broad question and there's so many, so many things out there that you can do. Um, a couple of things though, putting mention of it on your website. What I would do is on your main page, you want to have mention of it pretty big and then somewhere in the text of pretty much every other page because you never know how people get to your website. It's not always from the main page. Um, then Facebook, your fan page, your profile, all of these different places. Facebook fan pages actually have a lot of integrated awesome stuff there. So look into that. Um, Twitter bio, back of your books, et cetera. Basically, like I said, there's tons of places where you can mention it. Um, be careful about mentioning it in product descriptions. That's a no-no, which sometimes slips by. It can get you in trouble. Um, you can put it in your Amazon bio, though. Uh, yeah, uh, absolutely. Putting it in the back matter, uh, you sh should absolutely be there. Uh, mentioning it in your social media. If you do pinned posts, most social media platforms have got the option to do a pinned post of some description. I know that Twitter does um, and blogs do. It's not a bad idea to have uh, your, your reader magnet freebie as that. Um, also, you can, like, we often talk about back matter. You can put stuff like this in your front matter too. Uh, I used to, for, for a while, I had a full graphic page that was the cover of my freebie. And uh, if you clicked on it or clicked the link underneath it, it would send you off to sign up for my newsletter. And it was before and after the main text of my book. And uh, I stopped doing it because it technically was like another step I had to do in order to format the book. But while it was there, I received no complaints about it, and I did get plenty of signups from it. So if you feel as though that might be, you know, uh, invasive to the reader, it it didn't seem that way for my readers. Uh, plus, I mean, if you're really sensitive about it, uh, there's ways to start your book on the first page of text. And if you do that, then people who just click on start of book will show up after the front matter, and they'll only see it if they're flipping through. So... But then you sort of rob yourself of its effectiveness. But what I'm saying is it's one of the things you can do. Uh, and uh, really, I guess the, the, the final point on it would be uh, try to include the cover wherever you're talking about it. 
because people are attracted to to uh, to graphics and tend to click on graphics. So tr- consider putting it in your book with the cover or putting, you know, making sure that every post about it has got the cover too. Okay, Amanda, I'm going to say something you don't want to hear, but write something else. Write something exclusive to be your newsletter magnet. Um, if, if people can just pay for the book somewhere and get it automatically from their favorite store, it's always going to be in the cloud at their favorite store with everything else. They don't have to give up their email address. Most of the time, they're just going to buy it and not sign up for the newsletter, especially if it's not a very expensive book. But if you write something that people can only get by signing up for your newsletter, and I've done it both ways. So I have seen like how much dramatically more you get for something exclusive as a newsletter bonus, something exclusive that they really want. The character that was never a POV character, the mysterious side character, you know, the background of the hunky hero that we never really got to know enough. Um, that is going to get people to sign up. So that's going to be my advice on that topic. All right. Do you guys have anything else? I think we're going to wrap it tonight and <laughs> we'll have to do another question and answer. Why do these, why do I always talk so much? I'm sorry, guys. They just go so much longer than I think they will. We're filled with valuable information. And we have to inform you at least four times a night that we lost the mute button. It's a, there's a little filler possibly in there too. All right, everyone scrolling to the bottom for our closing, which I still read because that's just how I roll. Thank you for listening, everyone. And thank you to Joshua Pearson for producing the show. You can find the show notes or leave a comment or question. Let us know if you're rocking it with stories or fleets or whatever they're called on these social media sites, please, at sixfigureauthors.com with the number six or in our Facebook group, Six Figure Authors. Bye, everybody. See you later. So long, everybody.